There ain't nothing in the world that I like better than bacon and lettuce and homegrown tomatoes. Up in the morning, out in the garden, get you a ripe one, don't get a hard one. Plant them in the spring, need them in the summer. All winter without them is a culinary bummer. I forget all about the sweating and digging. Every time I go out, pick me up there. Mm-hmm. Good morning and welcome in to 90 Minutes of Questions and Answers to Your Landscape problems. Nebraska Extension educator Nicole Stoner and her guest going to solve all your problems from bugs and critters to rots and spots. We call it Yard and Garden Live. Now you just need to call 402-729-3383 to get your question answered. And now here she is, the very lovely and talented Ms. Nicole Stoner. Wait for it. A little applause here if you don't mind. Nicole, good morning to you. Good morning. How are you? I'm uh, most wonderful. Good. What a great morning here this morning. Although it's kind of cloudy, kind of windy, it feels uh, it feels like it wants to rain, but really not a lot of chances of forecast or rain in the forecast. So yeah, yeah, yeah. And that's you know we had some rain this week. Now we could get a little sun. I think it's okay with me. It would work for you, personally huh? speaking. All right. Uh, each and every week, you uh, you do bring a guest along and. Uh, we talked a little bit earlier on the morning show who you were bringing today, but mm-hmm. tell everybody who you brought. I brought with me Kathleen Q, and she is the Dodge County Extension Educator. So welcome. Thanks for coming. Yeah, thanks, Nicole. It is always <laughs> nice to have two Extension Educators mm-hmm. uh, dueling, dueling banjos here, <laughs> answering questions. Uh, oops, doggone it. Uh, Arnola from February was here, and now Arnola from February is not gone. Uh, so uh, we missed a call. Maybe she dropped the cell phone. I don't know. Uh, if you want to call and get a question answered, uh, please do. 402-729-3383. 402-729-3383. Open lines for you right now. So Arnola, if, uh, if you had a uh, cell phone issue, try back. Or if you're somebody else and want to call in, please do. Uh, so, uh, this uh, past week, uh, we've seen, uh, still having a lot of issues with the boxwood, is that right? Yeah, still seeing, um, there, you know, if you haven't pruned those out, I'd think most of the green should be there, and, and you can see that, that line between the brown and the green, so you can start pruning that out now, um, if you haven't done that yet, to make them look a little bit better. <laughs> yeah. Um, but, uh, in some cases, you know, if it went all the way back to where there's, it's all brown, I don't know that they're going to be able to pull through that in those, those situations. Yeah. And, um, we're seeing the very similar damage to use, Mm -hmm. user looking that way too. And thankfully that we're in the perfect window for pruning. So, Mm -hmm. uh, go ahead and get that dead material out of there and then look to see if the plant's response is to send out new growth in that general space. And, Thankfully, both boxwood and use send out new growth. Mm-hmm. Not like a lot of other evergreens where yeah. you cut the green stuff off and you're done. Right. So it will fill in. It will. All mm-hmm. right. Uh, let's uh, do. Uh, Arnola is here. She called back. Uh, good morning, Arnola. You have a question? I do have a question. I have sprayed Roundup in an area where I have ground cover. And is it safe to plant anything in that area now? When did you spray the Roundup? Uh, Wednesday. Um, I think it's one or two weeks after, isn't it, yeah. Kathleen, for planting? Yeah, it's 10 to 14 days is what mm-hmm. the label lists uh, for waiting. 
Um, and it depends on which formula formulation of Roundup you're using because Roundup has gone mm, several different routes with what they're using as the active ingredient. Glyphosate is what mm -hmm. Nicole and I are responding to right now, but there are other formulations of glyph or excuse me, Roundup that it could be. Right. So I would look on the label. It will tell you how long to wait um, before you can plant, but um, if it is the, the generic glyphosate, you know, plain old Roundup, then it would be 10 to 14 days. Okay, thank you. Thank you. 402-729-3383. I'm kind of surprised, actually. I thought uh, uh, once uh, glyphosate hit the uh, hit the dirt, it was pretty much uh, it was pretty much uh, under control and not not active anymore. But yet, there's still a, a period, huh? Right, and it it really yeah it doesn't really do much once it's hit the soil. But you got to follow that label. Okay, and that's what the label says. Yeah, gotcha. Yeah. Yeah, I think um, once it's in the soil, it's over 90% neutralized almost right away. There are mm -hmm. soil microorganisms that eat it or break it down. Mm -hmm. um, at the end of the week then, so a week's time has passed, um, you know, you're hard-pressed to find it in parts per billion. Mm -hmm. You can find it in parts per million yet, but, um, you know, in that 10 to 14 days, there's really not much of anything there anymore. Mm -hmm. All right. But you do always have to follow that label. Yeah. All right. 402-729-3383, 402-729-3383, Yard and Garden Live here on your Friday morning on today's Best Country, all red, 99.5. Love to have you part of the program today, and to do that, just give us a call and get your questions answered. Back to you, Nicole. So one of the things Kathleen and I were talking about before the show was um, we both have seen a couple of calls, especially on ash trees, but um, maybe on a few other uh, species as well, where the leaves are turning black and in some cases falling off in the one that I saw in great deal. Um, and so that um, either is due to the cold injury or a disease called anthracnose. Um, and both of them are minor issues. The leaves or the tree should reshoot some new new leaf growth, um, and it will be fine. It will recover, it will recover just fine. Yeah. And in the case of the question that I got from the caller, they wanted right away to know if it was emerald ash borer. Right. And that isn't the symptoms mm -hmm. of infestation by the emerald ash borer. So then right. we launched into what you talked about, Nicole. <clears throat> right. Yeah. <clears throat> Let's go to uh, Jim. No, I'm sorry, Pat. Pat from Beatrice. Hello, Pat. You have a question? Yeah, talking trees. Like, um, I'm going to be putting about three trees, bare root trees, in the ground. Do it like quickly. Um, so, do you have some thoughts on like when I I know I'm going to be probably running into some some clay dirt and what would be a quick, easy way to break that stuff up, you know, uh, to get it more fine when I, when I go to put it back into the hole? Well, some of the research on that shows that, you know, we really don't want to change the planting hole a lot in itself because what happens there is that the roots just grow in that really nice soil and can it's literally like growing a pot bound tree in the ground and so yeah. the idea is that you don't amend the soil that instead what's really critical is you break up that soil so um if it's so wet that the clay won't break up with your fingers then you're probably 
trying to do that planting when it's a little too wet out. And so hold off on that until, um, and kind of the classic way to tell is, you know, take a handful of soil, uh, give it a gentle squeeze. If you let go of it and it holds that, that, that moistness to it, then you're good. But then when you hit it and it breaks apart, then that indicates it's time to plant. So uh, that would be the main thing is not to do any amending so that you don't create that pot within the soil. Mm-hmm. And I've had to plant in some of those situations from time to time, and I just kind of take the shovel and break up those clods a little bit. You know, it's it's not going to be pretty there for a little bit because it is the such blocky texture when you put it back in there. Um, but once it settles a little bit, you get some moisture in there. It'll it'll all kind of settle back to to being. And like Kathleen said, you want it to be that natural soil. That tree is going to have to figure out how to grow in that eventually, right? Um, so if you give them a, a happy place, they're not going to want to leave that. Um, the roots will just stay in that. Right. They'll want to stay in that spot. Yep. Yep. So, so with aside that's... from aside from adding it and you and you adding anything to it, um, amending the soil, more along the lines of actually breaking that up mm-hmm. because I've only got, you know, there's only a few hours at a time that I actually have to, to spend with it and I might end up doing it when it's wetter, you know? So just, are you suggesting that I just not even do it when it's, when it's wet like that or, yeah, or is it, okay. You don't want to mud the tree in or any plant because what that does is that leads to more compaction in the soil. Yeah. Even clay soils have something called structure and when we work the soil when it's extremely wet we destroy that structure and that is a long-term damage that will affect the tree throughout the life of that tree and it's hard to turn that around when the soil's been worked when it's that wet so um you know i know it's a pain but if you can afford to wait then it's worth it because you're not going to destroy the soil and you're going to make the tree happier so happier roots make happier trees you know, it's just a win-win when you wait. So, D- did you say so, these are bare, bare root? Are they the little they're bitty? They're bare root. So now I'm wondering, okay, if I have to hold off for a couple of days, then what do I do with them? Well, and bare root, I mean, it's not going to be a giant hole. You know, it's going to be more of a slab. Yeah, yeah it's it's not going to be very big <clears throat> at all because they don't have any of that soil around them, and and so they're they don't have a huge root system. Um, so it's not going to be a very big hole. Yeah, in the interim, right. if you're going to store the trees until you can plant them, it's all about keeping those roots moist. So a lot of times mm. when you purchase them bare root, they come with either sphagnum or some type of moss around those roots so that you can moisten that, uh, throw a plastic bag around it, and store it in a cool place. Um, yeah. You know, even our even our trees that come bare root need to go through... Um, a chilling process and then a warming process in order for them to break dormancy. And so, mm-hmm. um, you know, you probably got that chilling process over with just it coming mm-hmm. through the male bare root. Um, but then uh, the little bit of warmth they get isn't going to hurt them. Um, uh, yeah. and, and you could plant them in a container uh, for, you know, if you had to wait a little longer, you could get some um, potting soil and plant them in that for a little while. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> And just you and know, then just and then just bare root them into the the soil, right? You after bear, letting them sit yeah, in the potting soil, bare root them into the container, 
And then you can actually just, then it would be like a container planting when you plant mm-hmm. it later. Yeah. If it, you had to wait long term or longer right. term. It, well, it, I'm just, I'm just stuck on getting it, uh, waiting for it to be dry, I guess. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So. The thing about that is, I think we tend to forget when it's, when it's been wet like it has been, it just seems like there's no end to it. But man, I tell you what, five It'll days, it, it can be, it can be just like next Friday. It can be so different than it is today. Right. So. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Okay. Well, all right. Thanks, guys. Well, thank you, Pat. Yeah, thanks for calling. 402-729-3383. is our our phone number on Yard and Garden Live. Let's go up to Shickley and talk with Don. Don? Hello, Randy. How how are you today, sir? And and I want you to know how, how nice I'm being to you this morning. Today. I have a question. Go ahead. I have a couple. I have a couple of. I got three burning bushes, and they have a few scattered leaves in them. I would think by now they should be leafed out. Mm-hmm. Are they dead, or what do you think is going on? Oh, this is a question that's been asked and answered a couple of times, Don. So yeah. uh, we got some pretty good news for you, I think. Go ahead. Well, we've been seeing this a lot, and it is due to the winter that we had. Those extreme cold temperatures did not fare well for some of our plants. And uh, burning bush is one of them I've had a lot of calls on. Yeah. Burning bush and boxwood are probably the two biggest ones. Um, burning bushes, you can do a rejuvenation cutting and they will come back. So if you don't have much, I'd say you could probably do that and get away with it. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. And I don't think we think of burning bushes being marginally hardy, but in this type of winter where it was more like a zone three winter than instead of a zone five winter, um, the burning bush really showed the effects of that deep drop in temperature. So, uh, there's not much else you can do to it. The good news is that it survived. We think that the crowns of those tree or shrubs are still alive and you can cut them back and let them start all over. Do you want to do that now or do you want to wait a while or what do you think? I would do it now because there's uh, waiting won't do anything okay yeah. you want it to start regrowing so that you can start building more nutrients back gotcha. for those roots help those roots really and how, keep how, going how far should uh, don take this down uh six to eight inches above the ground is where you go with that and oh. i mean you can use a chainsaw make it yeah. easy yeah <laughs> it's called a hard pruning <laughs> yeah <laughs> it, it works pretty right, easy thank, thank you very much thank Th- you thank you don Four zero two seven two nine three three eight three. Don's one of our rain reporters up in ah, Chickley. Oh, very nice. So uh, he calls early in the morning, and we we just always give him a lot of grief. <laughs> yeah, you know, we call him a liar, and you know, just the normal run of things that we do as uh, juveniles here on the radio. <laughs> uh, let's see four zero two seven two nine three three eight three. Donna south of Wymore. Uh, has a question. Uh, oh, close to Kansas, are you, Donna? I'm south of McCandless, uh, yeah. Okay. What, do you have a question? Yes, I do. I have an asparagus bed. It's an old, established asparagus bed. I've got tons of grass in it, and I was told that I could sprinkle table salt on mm. it. It would kill the grass, but not the asparagus, and I'm just wondering about that. Well... So, yes, you can, but no, you shouldn't. (laughs) So asparagus is a salt-tolerant plant, so it's not salt-loving. 
And we use, I mean, people used to do that back in the day a lot. Especially when they made homemade ice cream. Right. This is where this came from. Right. Uh, You know, you'd crank that that homemade ice cream and then you'd be left with a bucket full of salt water Mm -hmm. and people would go out and dump it on their asparagus beds because once again, it's, it's tolerant, but doesn't love it. And Okay. The more salt you put in there, the more you're going to break down that soil, and eventually it can it can take over and and be too much salt, and then it can hurt the the asparagus. You're better off if um, you know when you're getting done with it here soon, um, just cut it, all of those spears off um, right below the ground level and spray. You can spray some Roundup over it and then mulch. Yeah, and uh, uh, the thing to keep in mind is that there are herbicides that are just grass killers. They only kill grasses um, unless it's brome that's growing into your asparagus asparagus patch. And really your only option there is to use something non-selective, like Nicole mentioned, the glyphosate Mm -hmm. products would be the way to go. Um, And if you're afraid that you'll get any on any of those crowns of asparagus, then, you know, invert a bucket or a box or something over Mm -hmm. those crowns and then just blast the area with like you need to. Um, I have an asparagus patch with the exact same problem, so uh, I, I feel you there. <laughs> is there is, go ahead. I'm sorry. Go All ahead. Right. Thank you so much. All right. Thank you, Donna, for your call. We appreciate it. Bye. Mm-hmm. 402-729-3383. Is there a grass begone? Is that uh, something that you can use in the can asparagus? Can you use that on asparagus? Oh, I don't know if you can use it on asparagus, but you can use it. Anywhere, well, you can use it on a lot of ornamentals. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. um, and there's check many the, different. Check the label, Randy. Check the label, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. I uh, don't think that one's labeled for asparagus, asparagus but uh, I should look into that. Yeah, yeah because that would be a, that would be a handy tool if it that's really what, would be if that's what you have. Mine's mostly broadleaf, so yeah, you know, I, mine I, is too. I try yeah. to hand pull them out and then mulch, mulch, mm-hmm. mulch, mulch, mulch. Mulch is going to help you a lot yeah. with those kind of things. I go out and, you know, if you get out, the, the thing with asparagus, I mean, you really have to be on on your A game because uh, in this early spring, this stuff comes up and you're, you're, you know, it's like, oh man, it's too late. You wanted to get out there and maybe do some early spring and oh, it's already peaking up. Well, uh, and because you can use preen on asparagus, I've done that. But before. you have to do it before the spears emerge, according to the label. Because I I was putting out my preen the other yeah. day, and I was like, oh, I bet I could put this on my asparagus. And then I looked at it, and it, the label says um, that you have to wait until, or you have to do it before it starts to emerge. So it's a very early spring application of preen on asparagus. Mm. The rest of the things, it's not so bad, but that one it is. So you could do that too, but you'd have to get out pretty early. I think it's like early March. Yeah, you you need to get out pretty Mm -hmm. early to beat the asparagus up out of the ground. Yeah. uh, And and preen targets the seeds that are germinating Mm -hmm. in the soil. So a lot of your annual grasses like foxtail and and crabgrass, it'll target those. But yeah. anything that's coming up from a perennial root system like brome grass or bluegrass or something like that, yeah, that's not going to work on there. Right. So. Uh, Vicki. Hi, Vicki. Vicki from Waco. Is that correct? That's right. What? Good morning. Good morning to you. We have a question. Go ahead. I do. I'm not sure I can give you enough information to help me, but I'll try. I've got uh, iris beds and different other plants that in a large garden area that are infiltrated by a white, a viney weed of some sort. It's a real small leaf vine 
but it's very prolific, and I all I manage to do is pull it out, you know, and just grows and grows. So I'm not sure if there's a product that would kill that, but not my plants, right? <laughs> Mostly in the irises. Um, so I don't know what to do besides pull it out, but that's a very labor-intensive problem. It sounds like you're dealing with bindweed there. That mm-hmm. is notorious for um, the base of those plants being kind of white and then you pull it up and it doesn't look like you're getting any roots when you pull it up and those areas are very white as well and that's a really tough plant to manage Um, Mm -hmm. the root systems of those can extend down 30 feet Um, in fact in a given area sometimes it's all one organism all connected together so it's it can be really tough to manage that Um, probably the thing that would make the most sense is you can use something non-selective like glyphosate and what you'd want to do is spot treat so that none of it gets on your irises so you can kind of unwind the bindweed put it in a pile separately still attached to the parent plant mind you and what you would do is make a cylinder out of cardboard and put it over that bindweed and then shoot your herbicide down through that tube to the to the weed below and that way you're sure you're not getting any drift on your irises at all um but so don't pull it out isolate it and spray it is what you're telling me yes exactly Mm -hmm. Ah, it'll have a better kill for you but Mm -hmm. uh you'll never be rid of it yeah yes yeah. yeah this stuff just does not go away i well how long like a, the seed from bindweed how long is that 40 it, to 60 years yeah, yeah. It, it, years and years it's, yeah. yeah it's good for like 40 or some years for like ever yeah, yeah. so that that's a real important thing to remember if you ever have bindweed that you haven't messed with in the fall uh, in late summer, you'll see that it'll have a big pod. It has, they have big pods, mm-hmm. seed pods. Uh, man, you don't want those things going to no. uh, going to seed on you. But yeah, it's just a it's a struggle. Mind mm-hmm. yeah. we it is. Yeah, and using a product like a glyphosate product will help to kill the the full root. You can pull it, but you're gonna keep pulling it. Yeah, it doesn't. It just and it's very prolific. I mean, mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. it's just gotten out of control. You know, this yeah. year is just awful. And I'm like, I don't know. And I, I was listening to your show, and I thought, well, I'm like, maybe you would know. <laughs> <laughs> Well, in some instances, people dig up all their irises, move them to a new site that's clear of the bindweed, and then they'll just focus their efforts on that area because it will never be, you know, one treatment and you're done kind of thing. Mm -hmm. It's a commitment to really eradicate it. And so they'll spend one to two years just getting that area clean enough that then they'll reintroduce the irises back into the site. Yeah, I was... um thinking that might be something I needed to do was, you know, pull them up mm-hmm. and move them, you know, and kill that off. But that's a lot of work, too. But <laughs> yeah, it is. Good. Well, yeah. and you got to be careful when you do that because sometimes the weeds go with you, oh, when, yeah. you right. when you move them. Yeah. So you've got to make sure that you really clean that off. Yeah, exactly. You know, I mean, to the extent of get out the garden hose and rinse off the rhizomes right. before you put them in the new spot. Because yeah. you do not What's want to take that with you. a good time of year to move them like that? Good question. The fall. They're flowering right now, right? Yeah, you'd be better in the fall if you can wait till then to move them. I've done it in the spring, but it was before they started blooming. Um, so you know, come to think of it, these particular iris, which I don't know if you've seen this before, but they'll actually bloom three to four times even some years. Mm-hmm. I'll get flowers in the fall. I've never seen that. This particular variety does. But <laughs> 
Yeah, the rebloomers are not as well known in the nursery trade, but mm-hmm. there are more people that are growing them. So it is exciting to get those really gorgeous blooms, you know, in August or September. Mm-hmm. So Absolutely. <laughs> yeah, I didn't know. I mean, I've never seen them. I've had these for 30 years, you know. So. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, listen, I appreciate your help. Thank you. Yep. Thank, Thank you. you. Thank you, Vicki. <clears throat> Let's, uh, let me see. Uh, Kim uh, from Crab Orchards coming up. But right now, I believe this is uh, Jim from Tecumseh. Hi, Jim. Hi, good morning. I, you've been talking about asparagus, and I got a question. When's the last time, you know, you should cut it for your use and then just let it go? Let it... Well, when you're harvesting asparagus, um, you really want the spears themselves to be bigger than a pencil. So if the most of the plant is sending up those tinier stalks, leave those alone. And the larger stems, then, is what you're harvesting for eating. And once they start um, fronding out, once they start sending out all those leaves, that's when you really want to stop harvesting from them because the plant is trying to rebuild that root system so it can send out more growth next year. Okay. Well, that's what I was wondering, you know, too. I've been, you know, harvesting and uh, kind of watch that. And I figured, well, when should I just finally quit harvesting and uh, let it grow? Mm -hmm. Yeah, and what you'll notice is that the plant is really good about telling you (laughs) when it's ready to be done, ready for you to quit harvesting. Yeah, Yeah. it does, doesn't it? Yeah. And even the even the uh, the 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 harvestable plants, they they don't have those tight those tight heads anymore. They start getting you know know you know kind of spread out, and you get the little black dots on there from the from (laughs) the the beetles. That's about the time I said, "Yeah, that's enough. Mm -hmm. Time to let it." regenerate for yeah. yep. for the rest of the year yep. that's exactly. pretty good indications mm-hmm. yep. all right jim thank hey listen thanks for the call hey thank you you bet Bye. let's go to uh kim and Cra- crab orchard hi kim good morning good morning uh, i have saved up several questions over the last several weeks so. dandy you know what this is the week <laughs> this is the week for it okay first of all back to the asparagus my husband was told that when those start to fern out Cut them off at the ground, and you'll continue to keep growing asparagus for eating. Is that true? That is true, um, and some growers actually do that at the beginning of the season just to force that growth of more spears um, because the plant does sh- slow down a bit once it starts sending out leaves. But um, some plants will send out those leaves from the get-go, from the very beginning of the growing season, and then that slows down the patch, and then you don't have as much to harvest. So uh, cutting those off at the beginning makes sense, but as the season progresses and we get into hotter weather, then it doesn't make sense to cut those off anymore because at that point what you're doing is you're depleting that root system. And it's actually, you know, the bigger the root system, the more spears it can send out. So there's a point when you want to stop cutting those off. Okay, and 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 the time is probably right around now. Mm-hmm. Probably want to. You probably don't want to cut all your your little spindly ones down now. Right, right. Okay, I will make sure he knows that. Okay. Um, second um, question: I just found empty bagworm bags in mm-hmm. one of my evergreen trees, and I've noticed that there's a lot of damage to the foliage on that side of the tree. Am I too late to save that? I mean, the tree is about mm, six foot tall, but it's it lost all of its new green growth on the west side of it. Wow. Yeah. 
um, am I going to lose that tree? Am I, I mean, I searched the tree to see if there were any other bags and there weren't. I only found three of those little buggers. Um, and I've got birds in that tree, so I don't know if the birds maybe ate the worms or well, <laughs> but can I treat that tree? Is there, what can I do? So what kind of tree is it again? It's a, it's like a Douglas, it's a, it's a bird tree. It's what got what real soft bristles. Okay. Um, I can't tell you exactly what exactly. Blue spruce, maybe. And it's Kim, is it, oh, is it a windbreak situation then? Or? No, it's just a standalone. Okay. So I'm wondering if the problem isn't actually the ba- the bagworms. Um, for one, the bags that you're finding that are empty, those would be either past years yeah. um, or just some that died over the winter. Um, <clears throat> it wouldn't be like that they've emerged already because um, Kate uh, Chapman, she's the um, entomologist in Lincoln, just posted uh, that they're two to three weeks out yet on their emergence for the year. So oh, okay. that wouldn't be what caused that. I would, or I don't think, if you're only finding a few, I don't think that would be the, the culprit. I'm wondering, and and it's hard to tell without knowing exactly what the species is, um, but, you know, maybe some like needle cast or even some winter injury or something like that that killed the one side like that, um, that it probably is too late to, to do much for. Kathleen, you have anything else to add Yeah, to there's that? not anything that we can do to counter the effects of what winter has done. I know a lot of times we're thinking we want to do everything we possibly can to help out those trees. And so our impulse is to fertilize. And that's actually the last thing you want to do. There's quite a body of research indicating that when we fertilize a stress plant, we can stress it even further. And so hold off on doing anything like that. Just make sure that the tree was well watered this growing season. Did you do any watering last year? I've never watered that tree. Yeah, and, <laughs> and see, grown beautifully until this year. I noticed. Right, that we were in a drought situation last year, and there's never a point where necessarily trees are home free. You know, mm-hmm. where you don't have to do anything anymore. Even older, well-established trees do need care, especially if we're in a drought situation and they need some water. So, um, and the best thing we can do for evergreens is make sure that they're well watered going into ground freeze, um, because. You know, evergreens are kind of an odd species in that they can photosynthesize on any day that's above 40 degrees Fahrenheit. And so you get those oddball warm days where they're photosynthesizing, but that process requires water and they can't replace the water because their roots are in frozen ground. And so they lose water from their tissues that they can't replace. And then you'll see that damage come spring with lots of brown needles. And so, well, they're not brown, they're just missing. It's like they, the new growth just never, and the branches themselves seem kind of squishy and hollow. And there is a, quite a bit of bird droppings in that area. Mm-hmm. If you're yeah. not seeing new growth, that's it, should have put it, if those branches were still alive, it would have put new growth out on the ends, absolutely. And if those right. branches didn't do that, then those branches are completely they're not going to regrow. You're never going to you're going to have a gap there, exactly. Oh, yeah. So you could basically cut those branches out and then have, like, that gap. Yeah. To a certain extent, the branches below that area and above that area will, if I can say it this way, notice that there's more sunlight penetration in that area. And so you'll get some growth into Mm -hmm. that space, but not a full filling in. But there will be some growth into that space. Mm So do I cut that, cut those branches out then? Would that be the better thing to do or just leave them? And yeah, I would cut them out. Yeah, there's no advantage to leaving them there. <clears throat> so, yeah, removing them. Mm-hmm. Okay. 
So there's question number two. Mm-hmm. We have question number three. We have that you know that purpley flowering weed that just infiltrates fields. Right yeah, now? I think it's henbit. called henbit, isn't it? Mm-hmm. It's called what? Henbit. Henbit. Mm-hmm. Well, it's starting in our yard, and my husband has been trying to fight the battle. <laughs> what is the best thing to spray on it to kill it so it doesn't completely destroy our yard? Now, is it just blooming now, or was it blooming a couple of months, like a couple weeks ago? Oh, golly. Um, it bloomed a couple weeks ago. Okay, because there's another one called Creeping Charlie, which is a perennial weed, and that one's a little different, and it's going to bloom a little later. Henbit is the one. We've got that, too. Okay. <laughs> well, fortunately, you they can both kind of be controlled with similar products at around the same time, um, So, um, but it's in the fall. So a couple applications with, like, a 2,4-D product in the fall, like, late September and then again, like, mid-October, and that should get should take care of the perennial creeping Charlie and it should hit the winter annual henbit after it has germinated. Or you can use products like uh, prodiamine, I think was one that I was looking at, um, will work as a pre-emergence for the henbit um, earlier in the fall. But treating henbit now is not necessary because henbit's, it's starting to turn brown, I think. And yeah, that's about ready up. to give it up, isn't it? Um, the Creeping Charlie, you know, spraying now isn't going to do anything for it because it's going and it's just, and it's getting a little warm to be spraying 2,4-D products this late in the year and stuff like that. So, yeah. Yeah, and um, as Nicole mentioned, uh, henbit is a winter annual, so that means it's germinating late in the fall, and then it spends the winter as a very tiny plant, and then in the spring it goes to town, really growing and filling in spots and putting out all these purple flowers and so in a lawn area you can actually use a pre-emergence herbicide around September 1 Mm -hmm. and pre-emergence herbicides are a little hard to find in the fall because everybody's (laughs) used to putting them down in the spring we've been talking about that this spring Mm -hmm. yeah so buy it now and stockpile it in a cool dry place and then put it down around excuse me September 1 and then you'll be in the right window for really controlling those seeds as they germinate Okay, so buy a pre-emergent herbicide now, but spray in late September, early fall. Nope, you would use the pre-emergent in early September. Early September. Yeah, you September can, 1. Yeah, you can use a post-emergent, but that would be that later time frame. And that will target the ground ivy or the creeping charlie mm-hmm. as Plus well. uh, dandelions and all that mm-hmm. other, other stuff you don't really want, too. Oh, awesome. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, and then my last question, I promise. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Well, okay, maybe not my, quite my last one. Um, we talked about irises. What's the best thing to put on irises to keep the weeds down? Is it a weed and feed, or is it... Um, I have irises that will bloom all year long in a bed. I, I replanted all of them, and I've got weeds coming up in the bed now because they're a new bed. So the irises haven't taken over the bed yet. So this is kind of... It depends. Uh, what kind of weeds are we dealing with? Grasses or broadleaf? Broadleaf, mostly. Okay. So there's nothing you can spray over the irises that won't hurt the irises that would kill the broadleaf weeds. Okay. So it's it's uh, what Kathleen mentioned earlier, kind of target spraying, um, using like a canister or something like that over the weeds themselves, um, or getting like the foamer one or the sponge it on or just painting it on or the glove of death. One of those methods to make sure that you're only hitting the weeds and not hitting the iris. And 2,4-D would be a good product for that, but um, you don't want to use that 
getting this later into the season because it's going to start getting warm and then that'll drift and you'll have damage to like your iris as well as other plants. Yeah. And you, once you have it cleaned up, you can use a product like Preen mm -hmm. to target those seeds that are germinating. Mm -hmm. And when do you put the Preen on? Well, um, early in the season is always great because mm -hmm. it's always nice to manage those early in the season. But once you have that cleaned up, then it's nice to apply that then so that anything that germinates after that point is still managed. Okay. And, and Preen is not a year-long product so you'd want to reapply that you know i think it says on the, June, it says on the label how often you know yeah you, you know, you how want, many weeks you between. want to reapply it because it won't last the whole season right okay and then one last question my raspberry bed has been um it's just weird and i don't know if my chickens did this to it or not but i used to have a nice full raspberry bed and now it's all hollowed out in the center of it and the raspberries are growing in a circle around the center of it and what's growing in with the raspberries is grass. How do I get rid of the grass so it doesn't choke off the raspberries? And do I just have to replant raspberries in that center part? Well, the grass will have the, the advantage because it has such an extensive root system that it's really out-competing the raspberries there. And so in those instances, it's a little tougher to just... Um, get the raspberries to grow when they're competing with other things. And so, yes, getting the grass under management is first and foremost. And then when that's completed, then you can always dig up one of the little sucker sprouts that come off that, one of those parent plants, dig it up and put it back into that center and let it go from there. Okay, so we got to get the grass under control. Absolutely. What, what do I use? Do I just... You know, I mean, I guess, do I just start all over with my raspberries, just kind of take them, cut them all out, and then do what I need to just to destroy the grass in there, and then try to replant the raspberries there? That would be that the best option. In a perfect world, that would be the easiest way to do it. You know, if you could dig out the plants you want, set them in a shady spot, and then go after whatever that stuff is that's in there and, and get it eradicated, and then reintroduce your raspberry plants. That would be ideal. Um, because just bear in mind that, you know, going at it with the plants in places that you're kind of hitting at piecemeal, you know, a bit at a time, and that makes it a little harder to really get a lot of things that have extensive root systems under control. So it, I guess it depends a lot on how you want to pick your battle. So how do I get rid of the grass? What's the best way to get rid of that grass? Dig it out of there like with sod, or is there something I can spray I mean, on it? Or Well, once a raspberry is out, you have all kinds of options ahead of you. So you can do herbicides. You, there are things that just kill grasses, so you could use one of those. Um, there's also a, a technique called soil solarization, where you put clear plastic over the area, and that builds up the heat in the soil, and it really kills a lot of different things. And I would leave that on for several weeks. Um, you'd weight the edges with like bricks or clods of soil or something like that to make sure it stays in place and really let it just bake those plants so that, you know, you have the organic matter when you're done, but you're not dealing with the actual plant itself anymore. So if I dig my raspberries up, how long can they stay out of the dirt like that in a cool, cool shady spot? I would probably pot them up, wouldn't mm -hmm. you? Yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. You don't want to leave them just sitting there because they won't make it very long that way no right 
So put them in pots mm-hmm. or yeah, yep. put them underneath the shade of a tree and make sure you water it when it when they're dry and. You're just going to treat them like potted raspberry plants for a while, and then you can um, put them back into place once that area is really cleaned up. Okay. Okay, I will try that. And I do think my chickens had something to do with it. They they just really loved sitting in under there. <laughs> so I think they really are the ones that hollowed that spot out. <laughs> well, you know, but it, but, but the eggs, you know, they're worth it for the eggs, right? That's right. Yeah. I love my little old ladies. Okay. So. <laughs> all right. All right. All right. I'll, I'll stop bothering you now. I appreciate all of your advice. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, Thank we, you very much. Get, uh, guess what, uh, Nicole? This is going to tickle you. Uh, Chase, a guy named Chase from oh, DeWitt standing by, but we need to take a quick time Chase, out. Hold on. Oh, he just hung up. He, it's okay. Okay. I well, think he hung up. Yeah, Tell we, him to call back. He will. He'll, <laughs> he'll be back. And we'll be back with more Yard and Garden Live. And we are back with more Yard and Garden Live on today's Best Country Old Red 995-402-729-3383 is our phone number. And waiting patiently is Dave. Dave from Bruning. Hi, Dave. Hi, how are you? Fine. You have a question? I promise I only have one question. Now, now, now. Kim Kim told... Kim told us right up front that she had <laughs> she she'd been saving them up. <laughs> I was just out checking my asparagus and found uh, an egg mass on one of the uh, plants. They were yellow little eggs, smaller than a pinhead. If I need to do anything about them, what do I do? Uh, were they attached to the plant, or was there like a little string holding them out? They were attached to the plant. They were... I would say maybe three or four rows wide and then about an inch long on uh, on the stalk of one of the asparagus plants. I'm trying to figure out what would lay those eggs. So, you know, you have to remember not all of our, most of our insects actually are beneficial. Um, right. So I'm trying to determine if this would be one that you needed to get rid of. Um, and I don't remember what the eggs look like for the asparagus beetle. Um, I, don't, I don't either, and I, I know that they do. Um, so you, was your asparagus patch cleaned off last year? Yes. It was? Yes. And so these are eggs that are on here just, just spr- since spring then, right? Yes, right, oh. right. I, I haven't seen them on there before. Yeah, and asparagus beetle, they lay their eggs on last year's foliage and so they actually rely on us to have bad habits and not clean up the asparagus patch and so you know cutting that stuff down in the fall of the year removes the overwintering sites for the asparagus beetle so the fact that you're seeing it now seems really strange i don't think you're i don't think it's an asparagus beetle yeah i don't either there's a because um Let's see, like green lace wings, they're going to be a yellow egg, but they're held on a little stock off exactly. of it. Yeah. Um, if it's that small, it wouldn't be like mantids. Ladybugs? Might be ladybugs. Oh. That's, I, I was trying to remember, I know I've seen one that's like that, and I and I can picture it in my head what it looks like. That might be ladybug eggs. Yeah. Okay. That, that would okay. be that kind. So 
I mean, if it's a, a stem that you're wanting to harvest and eat, go ahead, harvest it, and just wash those eggs off. If not, you might just leave them. It might be a beneficial yeah. coming out. I, I, it is ladybugs that are that way. Yeah. And and yeah, just um, was, think of it as that. that uh, is starting to um, flower out on top, you know, get mm-hmm. the little leaves on top. So it's not one that we would be harvesting. but uh, Yeah. And the ladybugs, if it is ladybugs, they're, they're there to help. So, mm-hmm. you know, we yep. can't pay them okay. to do that, but we can do things sure. that don't kill them, right? Right. right. Yeah. Okay. All right. Thank you. Thank you, Dave. Yep. Bye. 402-729-3383. 402-729-3383. It is Yard and Garden on this Friday morning. Uh, let me see. We've cleared the phone call, so let's uh, let's let's run another quick timeout, and we'll be back with more calls on Yard and Garden Live. You can call now at 402-729-3383. We are back with Yard and Garden Live on this Friday morning. 402-729-3383 is our phone number if you uh, have a question. Uh, we have lines open, and we also have uh, we have the legend from DeWitt <laughs> on the uh, line. Good morning, Chase. You got a question? Oh, I have a question. I do. I do. So, oh, let me knock that over. Uh, well, I was wondering because I don't like digging stuff up. What are the odds if I planted some cannas close enough to a house that them bad boys would survive the winter so in some cases some of those summer bulbs that we do dig up will survive if they're in a protected location like that however i would guess a winter like what we saw this year no matter where they're planted it probably would have killed them yeah winter cover helps for sure Mm mm-hmm so, yeah, I, I know um, I have a master gardener who told me she has some, like, elephant ears and things like that. So they'd be the, the summer bulbs that would be the same as your cannas. And she just plants them in the ground. And most of the time they survive. Every once in a while they don't make it. And then she just replants them then at that point. So it's it's up to you. Um, but, yeah, if you give them a little heavier mulch in the winter. So once the ground has frozen, usually mid to late November, um, adding, you know, four or four to six inches of mulch over top of where those are planted would help protect them. Yeah. And snow would help too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Snow is an excellent insulator. Okay. Well, if it don't work, Nikki, you're going to come replant them next year. <laughs> uh, okay. <laughs> we'll see about that. <laughs> I have a perfect spot for them. So. Yeah. Well, the word's out, Chase, that you got the best beverages on the block. So everybody's going to be a... <laughs> coldest beer that side of the street <laughs> okay all right thanks, thanks for calling chase hey, hey, thanks for calling Jesus, thank you okay bye-bye 402-729-3383 402-729-3383 uh, a couple of calls from tecumseh this morning here's uh eli i believe uh from tecumseh hi yeah you have a question go ahead early is it too early to prune lilacs? And if you're pruning them, how far below the existing or dead flower do you want to prune them? 
Um, so lilacs, you want to prune them within about two to three weeks after they're done blooming. So you'd probably be okay yet, um, especially if the flower buds are still on there, the spent flower buds are still on there, you'd probably be okay for a while. Yeah, and immediately beneath the flower bud itself is where you want to sever that um, because when it sends out that flower stalk, that doesn't ever reflower again. Mm -hmm. And so just clipping that off, a lot of times there'll be, um, you know, two branches coming out on either side of that particular flower blossom. And so you'd cut it down to those two little branching uh, branches that are there. Thank you very much. <laughs> You're welcome. Is that it? That's all. Have a great weekend. You too. Thank you for the uh, call in Tecumseh, uh, 402-729-3383. Questions about pruning the lilac. So, uh, and had a lot of uh, wanting to know if they can transplant. Uh, if you have a, a particular plant that you're thinking that needs to be moved sometime this year, uh, maybe it'd be a good time now to move or you might want to wait until the fall. You don't know. Mm -hmm. You can get that uh, answer at Yard and Garden Live, along with just about anything else that has to do with anything in your landscape. 402-729-3383 is the phone number. And I'm looking over and seeing that we do have uh, open lines at 402-729-3383. So uh, call now. We'll try to get you on as soon as possible. This is uh, Deschler over in Thayer County, Monica. Hi, Monica. Hi. You have a question? Yeah, I was curious, what is killing all these shrubs? We've noticed that, like in town and out in the country, they've been dying. What kind of shrubs? Are we talking like the boxwoods and that? Uh, yeah, probably. Yeah. So that's just um, winter injury on a lot of different things. Um, negative 30 or whatever we had was was not uh, the best growing environment for most of our plants. Yeah. And like Kathleen said, and I, I talked about it a little mm -hmm. last week, we were cold enough to fit like North Dakota zone. Yeah. That's that's the, the cold snap. That's how cold it got was what they would face in North Dakota. So, and even maybe even Canada. I don't think, no, I don't think it was quite to Canada. I think yeah. it was North Dakota. And one of the dead giveaways of that is that, um, you know, you can tell where the snow line was on those shrubs because below that snow line, you'll see it leafing out or flowering as normal. Mm -hmm. And then above that point, you won't see anything. I mean, it'll just be bare branches. And so what, what that indicates then is that the snow was an excellent protector mm -hmm. of the plant from that portion downward. And that's one of the giveaways. That's why they call it a blanket of snow. Yeah. <laughs> it does protect them. And that was the, uh, you could see the forsythias that when they bloom, when they did finally bloom this year, they were only blooming in that bottom, what, 12 inches or whatever we had for snow cover. Yeah. Above that, they were just bare stems. Um, and so, yeah, just a, a really harsh winter on a lot of our plants. So it killed it then or it'll come out of it or... Most of them should come out of it eventually. You're just going to have to prune a lot back. Yeah. Yeah, All I right. have a Korean avodia that um, had some dye back in it. And, and so now it's just the bottom 12 inches or so that I'm right. seeing new buds, which is kind of heartbreaking. Right. Right. All right. Well, thanks a lot. Thank, Thank you, you, Monica. 
Have a good day. You bet. Thank you. 402-729-3383. 402-729-3383 is our phone number on Yard and Garden Live as uh, well, we're approaching our last 30 minutes of the program. Still plenty of time for you to uh, call in and get a, an answer to a question that you might have. 402-729-3383. Soil temperature, we haven't really talked about that. Did you check that uh, lately? No, I didn't. I think we're in the definitely in the 60 range for the average. Okay. Let me pull it up. I look at it so much it comes up real easy on my phone. Yeah. <laughs> um, <clears throat> but we, I mean... We're definitely warming up, but, um, you know, if you've planted, like, your vegetable plants and stuff, they may not be doing too much yet. Seeds probably aren't germinating yet because we're right at that level of um, good germination. Oh, our daily is actually 65, and our week-long average is 63. So we're going up. We're so it going, is getting We're there. going in the right direction All now. Right, very uh, good. You know, we, we had gone up and then dropped back down. That was that well, was the wrong way. Yeah, <laughs> it seems like it hovered in the 40s forever. It did. Yeah. It did. Or like, yeah, right at that 50 for a, while, a long time, too. So You were you were talking about uh, the, the, the temperatures that we, you know, the 30 degrees below zero mm-hmm. was more uh, in line with what they see up in North Dakota. Yeah. I know we're in zone five, right? Yeah, 5B. Okay. In, and then when you get up to, uh, how high does the zones go in the, in the U.S.? Do you know? Is it like 7, 8, maybe? Uh, I think Florida higher? might be 10 or 11, isn't it? Is it? Yeah, I, I think, think that's right. And then on the other end, the three to fours. Yep. Yeah. Okay. Is, so is Michigan the, the, and the further north you go, the lower, lower the number. Is. Exactly. Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. Gotcha. Yep. So I think we were about a zone three yeah. for our temperatures. Because yeah. if you look, because so, you know, the hardiness zone, it's based on that average temperature. Right. So, yeah, we had this year was not average mm-hmm. clearly yeah. um but based on the average temperatures in zone three it's like that negative 29 that's where we were yeah because i remember looking when it happened i was like how cold is this i mean realistically with our plants and sure so, yeah and and the fact that it stayed there so long right you know was really detrimental to plants you know i think all of our plants are used to those one really cold days mm-hmm. but right or one, a blast uh, of, yeah, yeah i mean it just seemed to hover over us yeah it we was it three was full days of yeah the, the a very cold very, i mean it, very it didn't cold. it wasn't all three full days of 30 below but it was, it was three days of very very cold zero, including think, yeah oh yeah all three of those yeah days. and including 30 below mm-hmm. so yeah it was uh yeah, that was a stretch of weather wasn't it it was not fun no well, and we're not even talking wind chill which is mm-hmm. damaging right. to plant tissues in and of itself so right. and oh then, yeah that 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 was the that was the temperature without wind chill. Yeah, right. yeah, and then to to have the spring that we've had where it's been so cool, you know, it really we've only had a few handful of days where it's been warm. Otherwise, it's been you know sixties at the most for for the most of the spring, and so you know that's even harder on our plants because then they're slower to come out of that dormancy um, and things like that. So you know it's more damage. That we're seeing or more unusual weather yeah. that the plants aren't used to i know the uh first few programs of yard and garden live the uh a lot of the fruit trees were mm-hmm. in bloom and we once again had uh below freezing temperatures and people were you know calling and wanting to know you know if this is you know, how much this is going to affect their their pear or their apple or their or their peach trees and 
uh, and we were talking about the peonies before we went on right. the air mm-hmm. because I remember having the conversation. People were calling in, you know, and their their peony plants had just got the small round, uh, you know, buds on them, mm-hmm. and the 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 weather came in, got cold, and they all, you know, shepherd hooked down, looking at the ground. And we're thinking, well, might not be any peonies this year, but man, they just bounced right back mm-hmm. and are performing like champs for, for a lot of people now. They we are, thought they're we th- a tough plant. Yeah, yeah. We thought maybe wouldn't, wouldn't have any for, uh, for Memorial, Memorial Day. Yeah. I, I think they're right on schedule actually, which is surprising yeah. to me. I really thought yeah. if, if nothing else, it would have pushed back their bloom, but they're, yeah. they're right on schedule. Oh, yeah. um, well, they might be a few it, days so. late, but, uh, yeah, there's yeah. definitely, there's definitely uh, uh, blooms on our mm-hmm. cut uh, our peonies that could that could be cut and taken out because we yeah. brought them in already. We might haven't opened up yet, but they are pretty pretty yeah. big. They're ready to. Yeah. So. Now we have some. We uh, I saw my wife had brought some in the other day. So mm-hmm. yeah, always nice to have those in mm-hmm. in the yeah. in yeah. the house. As long as you clean the ants off first. Yeah, you know that's <laughs> yeah. we can share yeah, with what's ants. What's a little ant? Yeah, it's what's not going to hurt not anything. Not a big deal no. for a few ants. All right, uh, let's take another quick time out, and we'll be back. We have uh, open lines, and we have time to talk with you on Yard and Garden Live, and we will do that with your phone calls after this. Yard and Garden Live on your Friday morning. 402-729-3383 is our phone number. 402-729-3383. Anything you would like to visit about that's growing or not growing the way it should be or maybe a weed or a bug or something that uh, you'd like to know more about, uh, now would be a great time to call. 402-729-3383. 402-729-3383. Talk a little bit about Japanese beetle here. Hmm. Yeah. I know that they, they like knockout roses. They do. Uh, and lindens. Yeah. Uh, are we lucky that they, they don't have an appetite for asparagus? We might be. Well, no, the timing would be off. It would be? Yeah, because um, Japanese beetles don't come out until the chicory is blooming, okay. which is about the third week of June. Okay, typically. yeah. All right. Um, and so by then, you know, it'd be ferny that mm-hmm. they'd be damaging. Mm-hmm. Um, but they do feed on over 300 species of plants. So And, and to, to control them? They're kind of difficult. Um, with some things, you can use systemic insecticides, um, you know, where you'd put it around the base of the plant. Water could, it in. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You cannot use that with lindens um, because of the amount of pollinators. And it's, it's strictly stated <clears throat> on the on the label, you cannot use this product on lindens. Uh-huh. Um, so for lindens, it would be like a later application of a contact uh, insecticide, such as like a 7 or something like that. Um and on roses, you can use a systemic on those. Mm-hmm. Um, and if you, you know, if you, with roses, you could, you know, they're small enough, you can probably pick most of the Japanese beetles off. If you wait till later in the evening, they're kind of balled up on the plant and you can just plop up, you know, just shove them right into a bucket of soapy water or something like that. And you'll, you'll get most of them. Um, and that's handy for edibles, too, mm-hmm. if you don't want to use an insecticide or you think you need to harvest soon and you don't want to pick those things and, mm-hmm. and do an a- insecticide application. The bucket of soapy water is extremely satisfying because you get to drown them. Right. <laughs> and so you can uh, just hold the bucket underneath. Uh, when you disturb the plant, then their impulse is to drop straight down. Mm-hmm. And so they drown themselves, which is nice. So, yeah. 
And I um, I have two lindens in my front yard, three roses. and the, Well, you have a, a big buffet for I do. I found them in my tomatoes a few years back, but uh, I really haven't, knock on wood, had too much problems with them. But I know I am a glutton for punishment there, but I really like my roses. Yeah, all right. <laughs> they love my raspberry plants. Yeah. And uh, yeah. they love any of the pole beans or uh, right. they love beans. I've seen them on beans, yes, yeah. as well um, in there. But, you know, and... With those, you know, spray you're, if you're spraying seven or eight or whatever, it'll work on those as well. Um, when I did see them in, like, my tomatoes and in my beans, I was out spraying for squash bugs. So you just spray the, the tomatoes and the beans at the same time. Um, just make sure that when you're using those products on, like, your, your vegetable garden plants, that you are reading that label, you're following the instructions, and you're watching that PHI. So that's your pre-harvest interval, how many days from when you apply it to when you can start harvesting again. Um, <clears throat> with seven, I think most things is one to three days, and I think eight's probably around that range as well, two or three. Yeah, and things like sun and wind degrade those products. So that's why that PHI is in place, is for that product to degrade enough so that you're not ingesting it when you eat those. Mm-hmm. Right, and that's why, like, um, you know, the systemic insecticides, they go through the whole plant. So you're not going to use that on a vegetable that you're going to eat because that's then you're going to ingest that in that chemical. And that's why we don't use it on lindens uh, because of the amount of pollinators on lindens um, and some historically bad situations with lindens and systemic insecticides. Yeah. Um, so but um, and the other thing to caution you with Japanese beetles, they do have these traps that they sell. But you don't want to buy those. You don't want to use those because what you're going to do is you're going to draw all the Japanese beetles in from all your neighbors and things like that. The traps really work. They work too well. That's the good they news really and do. the bad news yeah, is that they, they work, they work too, well. too well. And uh, I'll tell you, you don't want to be around those traps. Those Japanese beetles smell very badly. Hmm. And when you get like 400 of them in one of those traps, they really smell very badly. Really? <laughs> they reek. Right. Yes, yeah. they, they are terribly stinky. Okay. Um, and so you don't you don't want to have to deal with that. But. And if you could describe, uh, uh, you know, how big they are and the, their mm-hmm. color. So they are, I don't know. Let's, I, go, let's go with the June bug because everybody kind of knows the size of a June bug, okay, right? Okay, so they're smaller than a June bug, maybe mm-hmm. half the size. Mm-hmm. Um, they are a metallic green color and they're elytra, which are their hard wings on a beetle. Okay. Those are a copper color, so their back kind of looks coppery. Okay. Um, and then they're going to have um, seven, six or seven white tufts of hair along the edges of the abdomen. Okay. And so, that so really, a kind of a good they're, look. They are pretty. Kind I'm not going to lie, they're pretty. Co- kind of a good-looking bug, huh? They, they are. really are. Yeah. yeah. Hey, looky here. We have Jamie on the line from Hanover. And by the way, if you'd like to call, now would be a great time, 402-729-3383. Jamie from Ham- uh, Hanover, what's your question? Well, I have an asparagus patch, and I think I probably planted it like five years ago. But, uh, you know, time gets away from a person. Mm-hmm. And now they are beginning to be a little bit more uh, spindly, I would call them, the stalks, instead of the nice thick stalks. Mm-hmm. Is it time to replant? or? So were they that way all year? No. Earlier this spring, they were not. Okay. And, and that's normal? Yep. Um, so the patch will send up the... the Spears that are less than the size of a pencil as it gets uh, into the season. Those you don't want to harvest because usually they're pretty chewy. Um, And so those you just let go ahead and develop into the tall, 
the tall fronds of leaves that we typically see with an asparagus patch. Um, and that's not unusual for them to be that way. Uh, you, you see asparagus patches that are 30 years. 20 to 30 years old. Huh? Yeah, mm-hmm. and nobody's ever divided them, and they still produce quite mm-hmm. nicely. But all of them will develop those very skinny little asparagus spears at times, and that's a normal part of their growth. Mm-hmm. No, I, I understand that, but I, I just was thinking, you know, years ago my folks never had moved it, and they always had big asparagus, so that's what made me wonder. The other thing you could do if it's, you know, throughout the year, just not as as big a spears as you think they should be or as you're used to, um, you can fertilize asparagus, and a, a good fertility on them um, will really help. Um, so like in the fall, you could use, um, you could just put some manure on them or on the, in the patch and kind of work that in a little bit. Otherwise you can use just any general fertilizer on the plants. Um, and you could do that at any time here. Um, and, and that would help the growth. Um, but we say with manure, you want to do that in the fall. So the bacteria all breaks down before you're eating anything out of that. Yeah. And make sure the manure is a year old. I have another question on asparagus. When they start growing, you know, in fall. Do you leave that growth on there, or do you cut it down? That's a great question. Mm-hmm. And so you can leave it on there if you want, um, just for winter cover or that. But if you remove it, Kathleen mentioned earlier that that helps with asparagus beetle. Um, and so you might remove that so that you don't have as much problem with that. Okay, so how long after it starts growing, once it gets, it kind of turns a color, is yep. that correct? Yep, when it turns brown in the fall, that's when you can prune it back. Okay, Cut it off and how and get far down it. do you prune it? All the way back. Yeah, I go all the way to the ground. Mm-hmm. Way back. Okay. That's that's all uh-huh. dead. It's going to regrow from the crown. Oh, okay. That sounds good. Then I have another question. I have an old tree. I mean, it's an old, old tree. And it seems like this year, all it has, it has a lot of, oh, seed life. It's brown. And I'm not sure what kind of a tree it is, but uh, someone said, oh, that looks like a mulberry tree. Well, I know it's not that because I would have had mulberries other years from that. So what what could that be? Could it be from something on the winter? Well, it could be a mulberry tree. I mean, mulberries are a dioecious species. They're separate male trees from female trees, and they both flower. Uh, the fem- the males put out a flower. It's called a catkin, and it's almost like kind of this long brown chain uh, that's probably, oh, anywhere from two to four inches long. And those are happening right now. So if you're seeing those kind of growths on this tree, then you could be looking at a male tree. And, of course, the male trees aren't going to produce the fruit. Um, so oh, that, okay. that's a very real so is possibility. That a, is that a kind of a fuzzy-like? Yes, Mm-hmm. Yes, very much so. Mm-hmm. Yep, kind of a fuzzy chain is a good way to describe mm-hmm. it. Yep. Mm-hmm. Okay, that, maybe that's what I have. I mm-hmm. never realized I had it, but okay, that sounds great. All right, All right. Ja- Jamie, you're happy, huh? Yeah. <laughs> I've got a male. i got a male mulberry. <laughs> i got a male mulberry. Oh, wow. <laughs> All right, well, thank you so very much. You thank bet. You. Thank you for the call. And this is Pat from Fairbury. Hi, Pat. How you doing, Randy? Well, when you know, is the best time to move some uh, asparagus plants to relocate them? Never. So, <laughs> why are you? So you're just needing to move them to a different location, or what's? Yes, yes, yes. Honestly, you'd be just as far ahead of the game if you just replanted with new crowns. Okay. 
you can, um, cause I mean, you can move them, but you still have to wait three years either way. So you might as well just start with new plants. Um, and okay. you know, and, um, early spring is good for, for transplanting or for planting asparagus. Okay. Yeah, Sounds you, good. You think about, I needed to know. You think Thank about you. when you can purchase, you know, crowns of asparagus. It's in the spring. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So that's your indication of when you can go ahead and move Plus, them. Plus, you, know, you know, the newer it is, the more, you know, the, the newer, you know, cultivars they mm-hmm. have. And it's just, I think they just keep improving stuff. Um, so you, why, and, and no matter whether you, you plant the new crowns or transplant, you're still looking at mm-hmm waiting that three years really right. before it's really uh 100 harvestable right yeah, you want to let those roots really develop before you do too much um harvesting on that one all so, right all yeah. right very good uh let me see i think we have one more call here coming in uh shirley i believe from february shirley is this you yes it is and I have a problem growing poppy flowers. I've bought flowers, the plants, numerous times through the years, and they never come back up the next spring. Is which, there a secret to having... Which poppies are you growing? Which type? The California or the Oriental? Well, I'm not sure. Uh, what is the difference between... The, uh, they're orange and... I don't know what the difference is between the two. Um, both of them have similar flower colors. They'll be in the ranges of oranges, pinks, and yellows. Um, but where the difference lies is in the foliage. So the California poppy is a relatively short plant, maybe eight inches tall and flowering. And the foliage is almost uh, blue-green in color. That's an annual. Then the oriental poppy is a perennial and it has very fuzzy foliage. So if, it's, if you're seeing fuzzy leaves on it, then you're dealing with the oriental poppy. And while the oriental poppy is classified as a perennial, it's not a long-lived perennial here. Um, you know, if you get three to four years out of it and then it dis- disappears altogether, that's kind of typical for how they act around here. Okay, okay. So in other words, um, when I buy the plant, I need to know whether it's a perennial or an annual then. Exactly. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. And and a lot of times when we're growing annual poppies, you know, we're putting out those seeds usually um, around St. Patrick's Day is the time you're throwing out those seeds. And uh, they usually bloom really early in the season. And then when it gets really hot out, they start to disappear. So that's another classic thing of the annual poppies. Okay. All right. I'll, I'll check that out. Thank you very much. Thank you. And thank you for your call. And we'll be back with Yard and Garden Live right after this. So uh, that's going to kind of bring us to the close of Yard and Garden Live here on another <laughs> on another Friday morning. Uh, man, what a that was a great uh, great uh, yeah, ninety minutes. Uh, really was. a lot of calls and a lot of a lot of good questions as well. And uh, yeah. we definitely uh, we want to uh, say thanks to uh, yes. Kathleen Q, uh, Dodge so County Extension Educator. This is how busy it's been. I usually would have said that 
Mm, at a least a half a dozen times. But with the number of calls we had, we really didn't have to. And, of course, uh, we definitely want to thank Kim from Crab Orchard for, for helping <laughs> yes. us out with yes. that. <laughs> but anyway, uh, so... Thank you, Kathleen. Yeah, it's yes. great being here. Yeah, Love all the questions. It. Yeah, good. It's nice to nice to see you come in uh, and be here, and uh, we can always, you know, count on Kathleen for having a, a nice rounded uh, yes. uh, uh, area of expertise, yes. a little bit of everything. She knows her stuff. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> and uh, so hopefully we can, uh, you know, convince you that you need to come back next year. That's good. Sounds good. Okay. Good because mm-hmm. I usually don't let people say no. <laughs> <laughs> And uh, speaking of <laughs> next time around, who yeah. do we uh, who do we have coming up? We have Justin Evertson from the Nebraska Forest Service coming on next week. So all right, very good. Uh, until uh, next week at uh, ten o'clock, keep it green, keep it growing. Have a great weekend.